and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We are your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. So <laughs> we're still... We're still in pandemic mode while we're recording this right yes. now. Yep. We're recording a bunch ahead of time. So, you know, who knows where we are when this comes out, but <laughs> you know. Yeah. So in recent weeks in, in our current timeline where we yeah. are right now, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it seems that the only like sports thing that has happened in the last, I don't know, four to six months has <laughs> yeah, been the knows? NFL draft. Oh, right. Like, yeah. People were so excited for the draft. It was like, finally, a sports thing is on TV <laughs> that is live that we can watch that means something. Yeah. And it was just so much like it was basically like Zoom screens. And yeah. like they would show like this is this draft person at their house and this mm-hmm. is this draft person at their house and you know maybe they got the call and then they stood up and they cheered and they were on the camera and that was like people were so excited like just thirsty for some sports (laughs) okay just want the and it's not even playing sports it's just the promise of eventually going to be able to play sports yes and I talked with our friend um Tara Shout out to Tara the other day. <laughs> and she was like, ah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to tonight. And I was like, why? She said, because the Bills are going to release the schedule for the fall. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, so great. <laughs> so I'm trying to do my best to help bring some more sports related content. To fill that deep To fill that need because it's clearly there. <laughs> yeah, so clearly. So actually, I was inspired uh, from a couple weeks ago when we talked with Father Brad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talking about the New Orleans Saints and this this one play at oh, the yeah. New Orleans Superdome that really re- revived the city. Yep. And it really made me think. And so today we're doing, he could go all the way. This episode is on famous plays in football history. I love this. This is great. So... Um, the things I'm going to be talking about, they do come up at trivia. They mm-hmm. are frequent references. I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't like sports. And then you go, oh, great, a sports ball question. But yeah. like, guys, it's fine. It's fine to like pop culture. It's yeah. fine to like sports. It's fine to be a nerd. Whatever. Like, Whatever. trivia is not a highfalutin thing no. the way that Absolutely some people not. pretend that it is. And we don't pretend that it's you know oh my gosh no it's not nothing is sacred in trivia no so anyway sorry there's a little tangent no it's totally fine and you know what not for nothing I am not somebody who watches sports on a regular basis but I can appreciate it because you know what sports is just 
storytelling. It's another version of storytelling. It's a war. It's a battle. It's a, you know, a battle of wits. It's a battle of strategies. It can be really, you know, engaging. And, and it's that's another what people are into. thread to have in common with people, too. Exactly. So like, it's uniting. You talked about Buffalo and how, like, yes. everybody's a Bills fan. You're all mm-hmm. high-fiving. You're walking down the street. Same thing. Like, if I'm in Pittsburgh and I, you know... Somebody runs through a stop sign and I go to yell at them, but I see that they're they have a Steelers bumper sticker. <laughs> I'm much less likely to flip out. So <laughs> Wow, that's something I just learned about you actually. Yeah, well <laughs> Well good. I'll be sure to keep that so, in yeah, mind. <laughs> it's just it's something we all have in common. Yep. A common thread. Etc. So the things that we're talking about tonight, they come up at trivia. They are commonly referenced. Um, there are some of these things have had like big impacts on the sports world and broadcasting and that kind of thing. So, Oh yeah. We're going to start with the NFL and I'm going to go in chronological order. So the first one I'm going to talk about is called the Heidi game. This is November 17th, 1968. And it was the New York jets versus the Oakland Raiders. So kind of starts out your run of the mill Sunday football game between two rival teams, the Jets and the Raiders. It ends up being notable because of its very exciting finish. Um, Oakland ended up scoring two touchdowns in the final minute of the game to win the game. But the game got its name for a decision made by the game's television broadcaster, NBC, to break away from its coverage of the game on the East Coast to instead broadcast the television debut of the film Heidi, causing many viewers to miss the Raiders' comeback. So right. Yes. I remember hearing about this at some point. It's a big, like, it's a big deal, but people still talk about this today. So the game was supposed to be televised to most of the country beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern time with Kurt Gowdy and Al DeBergatis announcing. And NBC hoped that viewers who tuned their TVs to the game wouldn't just, like, end up, okay, because this is is 1968, by the way. So they hoped that once you were on that channel, you were just going to leave that channel on because you would have Mm -hmm. to get up out of your seat and physically walk over to the television and Mm -hmm. Tune the channel and the power switch and change the channel selector, you know, instead. So they were hoping that this good game would keep the audience in their seats to then watch the game in its entirety and then be a perfect lead in for the network's special presentation of Heidi, the (laughs) Joanna Spirey children's classic, which was scheduled Mm. to air after the game at 7 p.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. So... Under television rules at the time, the Jets and Raiders game was actually blacked out within 90 miles of Oakland, even though it was a sellout, which left the local Oakland NBC affiliate and other NBC affiliates in the nearby markets unable to actually show the game. So that's oh, wow. its own weird rule in of itself. But Heidi was heavily promoted by NBC in TV commercials and newspaper advertisements. You know, what? you're reading through the newspaper. Oh, well, Joanne Spirey's Heidi is going to be on TV tonight <laughs> at 7 p.m. Um, so... All this advertising and the network hoped to, again, just have a big audience, especially between families, because the network anticipated that families would watch the whole two hour film together. Mm -hmm. So they sold the block of advertising to watch manufacturer Timex. So it wasn't like a bunch of different advertisements like this car commercial, this food, Mm -hmm. whatever. It was like Timex bought all of the ads for this two hours of the show. So it's basically Heidi presented by Timex. Yes. So under the terms of the contract between Timex and NBC, Heidi had to air promptly at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Uh p.m. Central, and could not be delayed or joined in progress for any reason. So Uh this Jets and Raiders game is going on. And as the fourth quarter began, 
The fourth quarter starts and it's 6.20 Eastern time. Uh-oh. And NBC no execs good. began to like worry. They were like, oh no, this game actually might not be over by 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Around 6.45, members of the public began calling NBC and its affiliates and demanding like, you guys are going to show the whole game, right? Like, <laughs> don't. Wor- and then other people were like, but is Heidi going to start on time? <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh no! (laughs) I I was reading in the newspaper, so I don't know. I I don't know what that voice is. Um, But so these calls were like jamming the switchboards. Apparently, like reportedly blew the fuses in one of the switchboards and prevented the executives from like talking to each other to resolve the situation. So, with one minute and one second remaining in the fourth quarter, my God, Burbank Broadcast Operations Control played the closing football theme. (gasps) And while viewers in the Pacific and Mountain Time Zones ended up actually being able to watch the game to its conclusion, those in Eastern and Central instead... Oh no! Right at seven o'clock, saw a little girl on a Swiss <laughs> mountain, and were unaware that Oakland was in, was instead scoring two touchdowns to win the game. Oh my God! So this game had an influence on sports broadcasting practices. The future yeah. NFL would contractually stipulate that all game telecasts be shown to their conclusion in the markets of the visiting team, while other major leagues and events adopted similar mandates. So you will hear people talk about the Heidi game. And the thing that is most ironic about the Heidi game is that Timex, <laughs> the company, <laughs> the watch company, with the watch company <laughs> is what caused this rule to go into effect. I mean, they started it on time. <laughs> they, they did. They did indeed start it on time. So yeah. again, that was 1968. It was the Jets versus the Raiders and the Raiders ended up winning that game 43 to 32. Amazing. All right. Next, near and dear to my heart and those... Mm. All of those who bleed black and gold. On December 23rd, 1972, we have the Immaculate Reception. Mm, So this is also the Oakland Raiders versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. So the Immaculate Reception. It's a play made by Pittsburgh Steelers running back Franco Harris at the end of the 1972 AFC Divisional Round playoff game against the Oakland Raiders at Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. With the Steelers trailing 7-6 to six in the last 30 seconds of the game, Pittsburgh quarterback Terry Bradshaw threw a pass attempt to Frenchie Fuqua. So the ball either bounced off the helmet of Raiders safety Jack Tatum or off the hands of Fuqua. And as it fell, Steelers fullback Franco Harris scooped it up, like didn't (laughs) touch the ground. He scooped it up and ran it down the sidelines for a game-winning touchdown. Amazing. Um, NFL Films has chosen it as the greatest play of all time, as well as the most controversial, actually. So the play was also selected as the greatest play in NFL history in the NFL Network's 100 series. And the play was a turning point for the Steelers, who then reversed their four decades of futility with their first playoff win ever. And then they went on to win four Super Bowls by the end of the 1970s. You know, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've heard it. So big deal in Pittsburgh. And when you um, are flying through the Pittsburgh airport, if we're ever allowed to fly again, um, <laughs> and you're coming down and you're going to baggage claim, there are two statues that greet you. There is one okay. of President Washington <laughs> crossing the river. I don't know. And okay. then another of Franco Harris recreating Scooping. the Immaculate Reception. <laughs> it's great. That's amazing. It's great. So the Steelers won that game 13 to 7. And it was against Oakland. Great. All right. December 28th, 1975. We have a a play called the Hail Mary. Yes. So this is the Dallas Cowboys versus the Minnesota Vikings at this game. 
And with 24 seconds left in this very important game, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Roger Staubach hurled a desperation pass for 50 yards down the field to receiver Drew Pearson for the go-ahead score, and the Cowboys ended up winning the game 17-14. After the game, Staubach was quoted as saying, I closed my eyes and said a Hail Mary. Perfect. Staubach's post-game comments about the play are thought to have popularized Hail Mary as a football term. And you hear it Mm -hmm. all the time now. You're like, okay, there's three seconds left. You know, they're not going to win the game, but whatever. He could throw a Hail Mary. And that's where that's so that's where it came from. Came from Staubach saying this as, you know, a prayer. But (laughs) so that was the the first time that 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 term was popularized. And the Cowboys beat the Vikings 17 to 14. All right, one that um, dear old engineer Josh isn't doesn't love. Uh, November nineteenth, nineteen seventy eight. This is the miracle at the Meadowlands. So this is mm-hmm. the Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giants. Oh boy! All right. So the Giants they're ahead seventeen twelve. This is like this is like the end of the game. By the way, Giants are up seventeen twelve. They could have easily run out the final seconds of the game. They had sure. the ball. The Eagles had no timeouts left. And if you're familiar with like the last two minutes of any kind of football game, you know, mm-hmm. you know, okay, well they can you know do timeouts. They can just run yep. the time off the clock. Blah. So anyway, on third and two with less than thirty seconds left in the game, quarterback Joe Pizarczyk botched an attempt to hand off the football to fullback Larry Kazanka. Oh, no. So instead, like, he went to hand this off to him so that Kazanka could, like, run out, you know, the ball, essentially. Mm -hmm. Instead, Philadelphia cornerback Herm Edwards picked up the drop ball and ran 26 yards for the winning score. Oh, boy. So at the time, there was no kneel-down rule. And with the Giants' victory all but assured, the CBS commentator had begun to read the end credits for the game, like saying, you know, oh, thanks to Joe Smith on the truck and this guy yeah. on the on the field. And he had to, like, change his reading of the, of the <laughs> credits into, like, a play call with, like, actually, uh, he snapped the ball and he fumbled the ball. And, yep, turns out Wait. Herm Edwards just got a touchdown. So <laughs> the week after the game, both the Giants and the Eagles implemented a new offensive formation to be used in the end of the game as part of a kneel down. So it's properly called the victory formation or the victory offense. So you'll see this happen in games nowadays. Like, okay, there's, you know, 20 seconds left on the clock, whatever. They're just going to kneel it down, like protect Mm -hmm. the ball, protect the quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. Don't hand it off to anybody. Just stay there. Yes. So this game Mm -hmm. legitimized the quarterback kneel and coaches everywhere took heed of the Giants fate and immediately began instructing quarterbacks to sit on the ball in similar situations. (laughs) So a kneel down is basically primarily used to run the clock down either at the end Mm -hmm. of the first half or the game itself in order to preserve a lead. So you might end up getting like a loss of a yard or use up a down to do that. But Mm -hmm. again, you're minimizing the risk of a fumble giving the other yeah. team a chance of recovering that. <laughs> so um, a team can actually run off over two minutes with three straight kneel downs if the defensive team has no more timeouts. So wow. it's, it is a strategy now. Some people, some purists are like, just, you know, waste a lot of time and whatever. But anyway, <laughs> Steve doesn't understand it. Steve. Yeah. He, he has an irrational hatred of running out the clock. Yeah. He's like, just play the game. Yeah, that's what you're there for. Well, the, that's what we're the New York Giants would argue otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so exactly. This is called Miracle at the Meadowlands because it took place like Philadelphia 
had no chance to win this game. And then this crazy ass fumble at mm-hmm. the Giants stadium caused this to happen. So remember miracle at the Meadowlands, November 78 Eagles versus Giants Eagles won 19 to 17. And also the Giants fans often refer to this play as the fumble. Uh Oh, all yeah. right, we're moving along. We're in January 10th, 1982. We have the catch. Ooh. All right, ready? So this is the oh. Dallas Cowboys versus the San Francisco 49ers. As part of the NFL playoffs for the 1981 NFL season, with 58 seconds left in the game and the 49ers facing a third and three, San Francisco wide receiver Dwight Clark made a leaping grab in the back of the end zone to complete a six-yard touchdown pass from quarterback Joe Montana, which mm. gave the 49ers a 28-27 to win over the Cowboys. So it's called the catch. I mean, they catch the ball all the time. They caught the ball sure. lots of times before and since. But the catch is widely regarded as one of the most memorable events in NFL history. It came at the end of a 14-play, 83-yard drive engineered by Montana. And when you watch, when you like rewatch this, you're like, was he even trying to throw the ball to Dwight Clark? Oh, or was he just did it like... it seem like just a lob? Yeah, it was just like, I mean, it was only a six-yard, it was only a six-yard yeah. pass. Okay, we're talking about like other guys that like throw an 84-yard pass down yeah. the field or whatever. <laughs> this was a six-yard touchdown pass at third and three. And some people are like, he was just like trying to get rid of the ball and then like go for, um, you know, try to get it on fourth down instead. But mm-hmm. San Francisco 49ers were the the recipients of that catch and they won the game 28 to 27 interesting cool all right so we went from we had the catch now we have the drive on january 11th 1987 this is the denver broncos versus the cleveland browns the drive was an offensive series in the fourth (laughs) quarter of the 1986 afc championship game played at cleveland municipal stadium Broncos quarterback John Elway, in the span of five minutes and two seconds, led his team 98 yards down the field in 15 plays to tie the game with 37 seconds left in regulation, thanks to a touchdown by Mark Jackson. So Denver won the game in overtime, making a 33-yard field goal, pulling off a 23-20 win over the Cleveland Browns. This 98-yard drive ranks as football's prototypical clutch performance. So you will still hear people talk about this today. Um. One fun fact, the drive was featured in the movie Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they go back in time. They're in January 1987. But, and, they're, and they're saying in the, in the movie, due to the butterfly effect, they distracted Mark Jackson. Well, uh, okay. Sorry. Mark Jackson was distracted by a squirrel, and he failed to catch a pass, and Cleveland went on to win the game instead. Oh, so, okay. That's just a fun little tidbit. Like it's <laughs> like it was big enough deal in the 1980s that this ended up getting into the um, the, the classic the cl- film, classic film, Hot Tub Time Machine, which I've seen multiple times at this point. I, I have never <laughs> seen it. I guess I have to see it now since you've seen it so often. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Oh yeah, I hear it's funny. It's, yeah, I've it's certainly again. I sometimes I don't see movies not because I have no in- interest. It just doesn't happen to me like <laughs> the movies happen to me i yes. don't i don't seek them out apparently well speaking of something that happened to you january Uh-oh. 27th 1991 wide Uh-oh. right oh no the buffalo dave tag <laughs> sorry, dave tag, stop sorry dave yeah we'll give you the heads we'll tell you when you can tune back in dave yeah yeah um so this is the buffalo bills versus the new york giants 
-hmm. at the end of Super Bowl 25 with eight seconds left in the game, the Buffalo Bills trailed the New York Giants by a single point. They called for kicker Scott Norwood to try a 47-yard field goal, which would win the game and the championship for the Bills. Mm -hmm. Okay, but 47 yards, it was considered near the limit of Norwood's kicking range, particularly on a grass field at the time. Um, So he's trying it. Eight seconds left in the game. The kick had sufficient distance, but it passed about a foot to the right of the right-hand goalpost. Oh, And the field goal attempt failed. (laughs) Television sportscaster Al Michaels calling the game for ABC announced the occurrence to a stunned television audience. No good. Wide right. The Giants then took possession with four seconds mm-hmm. left and ran out the clock for a 20 to 19 victory. Bills fans also call this the miss. Yep. The Bills lost their first of four consecutive Super Bowl games. <laughs> and this loss was the closest the team got as the next three Super Bowls ended with the Bills losing by considerable margins. Considerable <laughs> amounts of points. Yes. Um, the U2 song stuck in a moment uh-huh. is about this. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That song, you know, it's the stuck in a moment <laughs> that you can't get out of it. It's about that. It's about Scott Norwood. Poor Scott Norwood. It wasn't all his fault that no, they lost. No, of course not. But if I remember correctly, the, the town really... Oh, they, he was run out yeah. on a rail. <laughs> yeah. That poor man. Um. Uh, so, yeah, that was the, the Giants... Um, beat the Bills in the Super Bowl in that one, 20 to 19. I'm sorry, Bills fans, this isn't going to get any better. No, nope, uh, because it is not. January 8th, 2000, we have the Music City Miracle. <laughs> That's the Tennessee Titans versus the Buffalo Bills. Um, this took place during the NFL's 1999 to 2000 playoffs occurring at the end of the AFC wildcard playoff game at Adelphia Coliseum in Nashville, Tennessee. The bills on third down kicked a field goal with 16 seconds left on the clock to take a 16 to 15 lead. They were pretty much all celebrating at that point, but on the ensuing kickoff return Titans tight end Frank Wycheck threw a lateral pass across the field to Kevin Dyson, who then Ran 75 yards to oh. score the winning touchdown to earn a 22 <laughs> to 16 victory. There is a lot of controversy among Bills fans whether the yes. pass from Wycheck to Dyson was really a lateral or if it was a forward pass, which would have made it illegal. But again, it's just, it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a real. It has become a part of the personality of the whole city mm-hmm. and its fans. It's just, it's just a shame, is what it is. So, Stall sorry, it. Music City Miracle Titans win twenty-two to sixteen. Um, speaking of laterals, December twenty-first, two thousand three, we have the River City Relay, and this isn't this is insane. If you don't know what this is, this is insane. So, this yeah, is I the New know. Orleans Saints versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. All right. There are seven seconds left at the end of regulation in this game. Okay. Okay. Seven seconds left. The Jaguars are up 20 to 13 on the Saints. The Saints are on their own 25 yard line. They have second down and 10, but there's only seven seconds left in the game. They're on their own 25 yard line. They're down by seven points. 
Quarterback Aaron Brooks passed the ball to the right side of the field to receiver Dante Stallworth. He caught the pass at midfield. He bounced off a tackle attempt. He turned inside. He broke a few more tackles. So the clock was already at zero. There's no time left on the clock. And that's okay because you're in the middle of a play. Yeah, as long as the play's play. happening, it's okay. So, so Stallworth had this ball. Clock had reached zero. He pitched the ball to the 34-yard line to Michael Lewis for his team, who then ran the ball to the 25-yard line of Jacksonville. He then turned and threw the ball to Deuce McAllister, who ran to the Jaguars' 20-yard line. McAllister then threw the ball to the right side of the field to Jerome Pathon, who caught the ball at the 24-yard line of Jacksonville. What? And he dove into the end zone. It's okay if you're not the quarterback. It's okay if you throw the ball as long as it's not a forward pass. It can be at the same yard line or behind mm-hmm. you is fine. So anyway, this was like three laterals, okay? <laughs> this is insane. This doesn't ever happen. There was a lengthy delay while the officials determined that every ball transfer after the pass to Stallworth was indeed legal. And oh my gosh. all the Saints needed was a John Carney extra point to send the game into overtime. So they did all this craziness. It's mm-hmm. 20 to 19. They just need that extra point to get the to get the game game into overtime okay uh-huh so john carney lined up to kick the extra point and the kick sailed wide right <laughs> no. <laughs> no so there's a very famous reaction of the saints play-by-play radio announcer jim henderson with just like a horrified scream <laughs> like no he missed the extra point wide right oh my god how could he do that <laughs> so um so the saints they understood some of the <laughs> some of the Bills' feelings yeah. because even after all that madness, um, Jacksonville hung on to win that game twenty to nineteen. Wow, <laughs> that's insane! <laughs> I can't believe that all that happened. <laughs> it's really fun. Like that's a really fun play to like watch. Oh the, yeah, the highlights of. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, speaking of the Saints, September 25th, 2006, we have Steve oh, yeah. Gleason's blocked punt. Um, it's also called Rebirth. So this is the Atlanta Falcons versus the New Orleans Saints. And again, as Father Brad recapped in his New Orleans episode, um, the Saints had returned to the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina on Monday Night Football in week three of the 2006 NFL season. So again, they're away from New Orleans, playing away from mm-hmm. New Orleans for the whole season. The Saints went three and thirteen that year. Like fans were like freaking out. Yeah, they were totally waiting like their what their new quarterback Drew Brees would be like, and their new head coach Sean Payton would be like. So Saints safety Steve Gleason was re- responsible for one of the most dramatic and memorable moments in Saints history when he blocked a punt by Atlanta Falcons punter Michael Keenan early in the first quarter of the game at the Superdome. So Curtis DeLuch recovered the ball in the Falcons end zone for a touchdown. It was the first score in the Saints first game in New Orleans in nearly 21 months. Wow. So it was it was intense. Like, um, yeah, like as as Father Brad said, like it just like lifted the spirits of everybody in the city. They're like, we're going to be okay. Turns out this Drew Brees guy ain't that bad, huh? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Um, And Steve Gleason is like a really important figure to the city too. In September 2011, the same year that he announced his diagnosis of having ALS, he was awarded a Super Bowl ring by the Saints. And at the same ceremony, he was given the key to the city of New Orleans by the mayor. And in July 2012, Rebirth, a statue depicting Gleason blocking the punt, was raised outside the Superdome. Amazing. So big deal for them. All right. February 3rd, 2008, we have the helmet catch. 
don't think I know this. Okay, so this is the New York Giants versus the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 42. Mm. During the final two minutes of this game, quarterback Eli Manning escaped from the grasp of three New England Patriots defensive players and threw a forward pass on third down. And David Tyree made a leaping catch. He caught the ball with one hand and then pressed the ball against his helmet coming down like uh-huh. because he couldn't get both hands on the ball he had one hand on the ball and pressed it to his head to keep it from like falling <laughs> sliding off yeah, yeah exactly so the play was a 32 yard gain and it led to the game winning touchdown with 39 seconds left and was instrumental in the giants 17 to 14 upset victory over the patriots and that was the year that the patriots had uh, went 16 and 0 during the season yeah so they were undefeated during the season and they were on the verge of becoming the first nfl team to finish like going through the the not only the regular season but also the playoffs. So the Giants spoiled that for them. And I um, love to see it. Yeah, you you love to see it. <laughs> love to see it. <laughs> and NFL film Steve Sobal called it the greatest play the Super Bowl has ever produced. Ooh. That's yeah, cool. It's yeah, it's it's neat. It's neat to watch that. So that's called the helmet catch. Helmet catch. Um so we talked about the miracle at the Meadowlands. Mm-hmm. We also have the miracle at the New Meadowlands (laughs) (laughs) on December 19th, 2010. And engineer Josh is putting his rubbing his face right now while I say this. (laughs) So this is, again, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giants at the Giants New Stadium. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, no. December 19th, 2010, with just eight minutes left to play in the fourth quarter, the Eagles trailed the Giants by 21 points. What? Okay, so the Giants are up by 21 points with eight minutes left in the game. The Eagles went on to score four unanswered touchdowns oh, in the final God. seven minutes and 28 seconds of play, including <laughs> a punt returned for a touchdown by Deshaun Jackson as time expired. Deshaun Jackson became the first player in NFL history to win a game by scoring on a punt return as time expired. The Eagles, How is that? the Eagles won 38 to 31. Oh my God. Did the, I'm sorry. It's, it's as if the Giants, did they just lay in the grass? <laughs> it's did as they if just, they all took a nap for the last yeah. eight minutes of the game. Wow. So, um, so yeah, by <laughs> Giants fans tend to call this game the punt because that's <laughs> what happened to go wrong in a similar way that Miracle at the Meadowlands was known as the fumble. But yeah, this sure. is um, both of the Meadowlands incidents took place between the Eagles and the Giants. And unfortunately, the Giants did not come out victorious. That's rough. That's rough. Um, and then finally, speaking of fumbles in the NFL, my, my favorite and probably yours as uh, the butt fumble <laughs> on November 22nd, 2012. Mm-hmm. So this is the New England Patriots versus the New York Jets. Um, in this game, the Jets quarterback, Mark Sanchez, collided with the rear end of his teammate, <laughs> offensive lineman Brandon Moore, causing a fumble, which was then recovered by the Patriots safety, Steve Gregory, in return for a touchdown. So this play was the centerpiece of a disastrous sequence in the second quarter where the <laughs> Jets lost three fumbles and the Patriots scored three touchdowns, oh one my each God. on offense, defense, and special teams, all in the span of 52 seconds of game time. <gasps> oh, that's embarrassing. This is often considered one of the most inept plays in NFL history and is also ranked as the most embarrassing moment in Jets history by ESPN. Yeah. The butt fumble. Butt fumble. 
That's a shame. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. And then I just had a couple from college football. Okay. That I wanted to talk about too. Um, so in college football, November 20th, 1982, we have The Play. I mean, let's get a little more specific. Well, we can't call anything else that now. 1982, That's true. they took it. The Play. They took it. This is the Stanford Cardinal versus the California Golden Bears. So... When I start talking about this, you will know what I'm talking about. Okay. Stanford. All right. There's four seconds left in this game. Okay. Stanford has a 20 to 19 lead. They got a field goal. There's four seconds left. The Golden Bears used five lateral passes on the ensuing kickoff return and ended up scoring the winning touchdown with no time left for a 25 to 20 victory. Members of the Stanford band came onto the field midway through the kickoff return, believing that the game was <gasps> over, which added to the confusion and the folklore of the game. You have almost certainly heard the call. The band is out on the field. Yeah. He's going to go to the end zone. The bears have won. So the Amazing. officials ruling of a Cal touchdown was highly controversial at the time. And the play has remained a source of, shall we say, intense disagreement in the last few mm. decades, especially between Stanford and California fans. So the controversy centers on the legality of two of their five laterals, as well as the chaos that ensued when the Stanford team and marching band entered the playing field <laughs> while the ball was still live. So that's a very, very famous college football mm. game ending. <laughs> <laughs> the band is on the field while the guy Alert. is trying to run into the end zone. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Um, November 23rd, 1984, we have um, a play called the Hail Flutie. Also called Hail the, Flutie. Hail Flutie. Also called the Miracle in Miami. So this is the Boston College Eagles versus the Miami Hurricanes. So Boston College, with Doug Flutie at quarterback, jumped out to an early 14 to nothing lead in the first quarter before Miami, of him. led mm -hmm. by quarterback Bernie Kosar, stormed back to tie the game. So the two quarterbacks, like this is apparently like a really, really great game. They had 59 completed passes in total, like more wow. than 900 yards thrown in total, five touchdowns total. Like that's that's pretty high. Yeah. With 28 seconds left in the game, Boston College trailed 45 to 41. There were three quick plays that took the Boston College Eagles from their own 20-yard line down to the Hurricanes' 48-yard line. Doug Flutie called the 55 flood tip play in which the receivers were supposed to run straight routes into the end zone. They were then supposed to try to actually tip the football to another receiver, like, you know, kind of bat yeah, it just in the air it. to somebody mm -hmm. else. And with six seconds left on the clock, Flutie scrambled back into his right, narrowly averting a sack. As time expired, he threw the football from his own 37-yard line, which would have meant 63 yards to the end zone against 30-mile-an-hour winds, by the way. What? Again, he'd already thrown the football <laughs> like 45 times during this game. The yeah. Miami defensive backs didn't think that he would be able to throw the ball into the end zone with six seconds left on the clock from that far away, so they didn't pay any attention to wide receiver Gerald Phelan as he ran behind them. The ball came straight down over the massive players, untouched into Phelan's arms for the Boston College Eagles to win the game 47-45. to 45. Wow. Apparently, a really, a really great, great play. Game. A really great mm. game. A really great play. Uh, we have the Earthquake game. October oh. 8th, 1988. This is the Auburn Tigers versus the LSU Tigers. So Auburn led this football game 6 nothing with less than two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Oh, this is sounds super boring for a college football yeah. game, but okay. 
Um, LSU's quarterback Tommy Hodson drove the team down the field before throwing an 11-yard touchdown pass to Eddie Fuller on fourth down, and the LSU Tigers ended up upsetting number four Auburn by a score of seven to six. That doesn't okay. sound too crazy, right? No. Well, the game's name, which the earthquake game resulted from the reaction of the crowd after the final pass, which registered as an earthquake by a seismograph located in LSU's Hal Russell geoscience complex. Get out. Yeah. Get out. (laughs) So apparently like, you know, this, ah, the crowd went wild, stomping and screaming and jumping and whatever. They won the game. They, they upset this team. And then like a couple days later, somebody in like the geoscience lab was like, huh, did we have an earthquake? <laughs> and then they calculated it and figured out that that is when it happened. And it kind of like built itself up in lore. Like there was another oh, sure, like yeah. ESPN was on campus filming something like the next year and you know, it came up and then it became this big, like oh sure, bigger yeah, than it, it really went. was. Like at the time mm-hmm. it wasn't anything, but they refer to that as the earthquake game. Mm. And then last but not least, the kick six This took place on November 30th, 2013. This is the Alabama Crimson Tide versus the Auburn Tigers. So it's the 78th Iron Bowl. It's like a college, big college championship game featuring Mm -hmm. number one ranked and two-time defending national champion Alabama Crimson Tide as a 10-point favorite over the number four ranked Auburn Tigers. So after falling behind in the second quarter and then again in the fourth quarter, Auburn rallied late to tie the game 28 to 28 with 32 seconds remaining. After the next kickoff, Alabama quickly moved to the Auburn 38-yard line, at which point the clock ran out, seemingly sending the game into overtime. But Alabama coach Nick Saban challenged the timekeeping call, and after a video review, they put one second back on the clock. (gasps) You're like, okay, one second, whatever. Like, That's that's just a technicality. So -hmm. the Crimson Tide lined up for a potential game-winning 57-yard field goal. They're like, okay, whatever. Like, we could, If we don't make it, it's fine. We're going into overtime, right? Yeah. However, the kick was short. Auburn's Chris Davis, who'd been positioned near the goal line, caught the ball in front of the goalposts, and then he ran across the entire field through players from both teams to the opposite end zone, scoring the winning touchdown for Auburn on its last play of the game. There's no time left on the clock, obviously. The run back was technically about 109 yards. And it was officially could only be considered a 100-yard return according to the NCAA rules. But... This was like just apparently so impressive. Like, and the radio announcer was like, Auburn's got to win the football game. Auburn's gonna- I hope you like all my impressions this episode. Auburn's got to win the football game. So it, like, it was just so like improbable that this, yeah. that this would have even happened, but ended up winning. Auburn won the football game 34 to 28 on a 109 yard return for, a, oh my for gosh. a field goal that was too short. Amazing. That's amazing. So those are some football plays that I wanted I you love to know. It. Those are great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun like wa- like watching the clips oh, of sure, all these I ones bet. again yeah. and stuff. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then hearing like, like when you hear like a really surprised announcer. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the best. It's so it's great. It's truly the best thing. All right. So... <laughs> So I was like, okay, not everybody likes my sports. Not everybody likes sports episode. I was like, when I do my quiz, I want to do a quiz on like the opposite of football. Sure. So, but I don't know what that is. 
<laughs> yeah, okay? what's the opposite so of football? I thought about it. I was trying to think. I was like, is it another sport? Is it like laying on the couch? Like, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I, I asked a couple people, what's the opposite of football? So <laughs> I texted my mom and my brothers and I go, hey guys, quick question. What's the opposite of football? Mm-hmm. And my brother, Billy... <laughs> responds immediately like i like this text got sent two seconds later billy responds i i said what's the opposite of football billy goes weird underground mind slave kid fights (laughs) like (laughs) what and my mom without acknowledging billy's answer says badminton okay (laughs) so my mom's like what and Billy said, <laughs> Billy was like, that's an open air though, mom. Uh, and then he thinks, and he goes, cave snail racing would also work. So, so guys, my, my quiz is on weird undermound mind slave kid fights and caves. No, it's not, not at all. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like the, the thought process behind that, it, he's like, is- Billy was like, well, football's out in the open on the green, green grass under the crystal blue sky. So you got to take the opposite of that into account. And my mom's like, I think, I think the beer, the beer's melting your brain, kid. Um, also, shout Bill out. Is <laughs> an idiot savant. He's an idiot savant. I swear. Cave snail racing is the opposite of football, mm, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been proclaimed. Um, <laughs> honorable mention, I also asked our friend Andrew Gibson, who's been on the podcast before. Um, I asked him, what's the opposite of football? And... He said an original 35 millimeter print of the film Wild Strawberries. So <laughs> those those are your options. Um, if anybody ever, if this ever comes up, those you know are the, what? Those are the opposite of football. Why don't you let us? By the way, tweet at us. What yeah, is, no. What do you I'm, think is the opposite of football? I'm gonna put up a poll <laughs> on Twitter. And it's going to be, what is the opposite of football? And I will provide all those answers. <laughs> and you, our listeners, will tell us. Yes. So please keep an eye out for that. Yes. It will be on Twitter today. So our quiz today is not un- is unfortunately not on the opposite of football because we couldn't figure out a, you know, a cohesive yeah. definition. Uh, this quiz is called Flag on the Play. It is a quiz on memorable flags of the world. Lauren said shit. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'll be okay. Okay, okay. All right, question one. This country's flag, called the Taigugi, is white with a soulful red and blue yin-yang symbol in the center. There is a different black trigram from the ancient I Ching in each corner of the white field. Which country, who has played host to the Olympic Games twice, flies this flag? Question two, the only national flag not shaped like a quadrilateral, this country's flag instead comprises two overlapping crimson triangles representing both the Himalayan mountains and the two main religions of the nation, Hinduism and Buddhism. The smaller upper triangle bears a white stylized moon and the larger lower triangle displays a white 12 pointed sun. Where in the world is this flag from? Question three. The Union Jack or Union Flag is the official name of the flag for the United Kingdom. The crosses or saltiers of which three saints are combined to make the UK flag? 
question four. The fifth largest country in the world has a green flag with a large yellow diamond in the center, bearing a blue celestial globe with 27 white five-pointed stars. The globe also has a white equatorial band with the motto, Ordem e Progresso, across it. Though their national dish isn't canned soup, but feijoada, a stew of beans with beef and pork. To what country does this flag belong? Question five. This country's flag has three equal horizontal bands of green, black, and yellow, with a red isosceles triangle on the left side. But centered in the triangle is a yellow five-pointed star under a crossed AK-47 and a hoe on an open white book. If you're in Maputo, you're under the flag of what country? Alternatively, what is the only country's flag with an AK-47 on it? Question six. There are three countries with dragons on their flags. One is the land of song. One is a European island. And one is a very happy country in Asia. Can you name me two of them? I'll throw in a milkshake and some bonus points if you get all three. Question seven. This red flag with a triskelion of legs joined at the thigh, bent at the knee, pointing clockwise with stars for spurs at their heels is explained by the legend that a great warrior repelled an invasion by transforming into the three legs and rolling down a hill, defeating the invaders. You can buy that story if you want to in pounds sterling since the country is a crown dependency in the Irish Sea. What is its name? Question eight. Believed to be the oldest continuously used national flag in the world, this flag, wielded by kings of its home country since the 14th century, features a shifted white cross on a red background. If you were visiting Queen Margrethe II, who's been reigning monarch since 1972, or the headquarters of Lego, in what country would you be? Question nine. This perfectly square flag consists of two vertical halves. On the left, solid yellow, signifying a specific ruler's spiritual power and the right side, which shows a tiara, two crossed keys, one silver, one gold, neither pearly, and a red cord connecting the keys. In what country, with a population of about 825, would you see this flag? And finally, question 10. Cerulean blue with a gold isosceles triangle below a black arrowhead. This country's flag somewhat resembles the Starfleet emblem. If you elevate and head to the capital city of Castries, you're looking at the flag of what Caribbean island? I'll give you about a minute to think, and we'll be back with your answers. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my home. Oh mama, I can hear you a crying, you're so scared and all alone. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long.
think I'm doing better than I thought. Yeah. But uh, no, that's not it. Okay. All right. <coughs> Here we go. 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 All right. Question one. This country's flag called the Taiguki is white with a soulful red and blue yin yang symbol in the center. There is a different black trigram from the ancient I Ching in each corner of the white field. Which country, which has played host to the Olympic Games twice, flies this flag? Uh, is that South Korea? Yes. Yes. Uh, Taiguki means great polarity, and the emblem at the center symbolizes the yin which is blue and the yang, which mm-hmm. is red, the cosmic forces that are necessary to maintain a harmonious balance. The four black trigrams or quai on each corner of the flag represent heaven, earth, water, and fire. I had to, you know what? Describing the flag has definitely helped because I had to like imagine it. And I was like, oh yeah, there's a red and blue yin yang symbol on the mm-hmm. South Korean flag. I know more about flags than I thought. Yeah. Look at me. Great. <laughs> I'm doing great. A hundred percent so far. Yeah. Here we go. Question two. (laughs) The only national flag not shaped like a quadrilateral. This country's flag instead comprises two overlapping crimson triangles representing both the Himalayan mountains and the two main religions of the nation, Hinduism and Buddhism. The smaller upper triangle bears a white stylized moon and the larger lower right triangle displays a white 12 pointed sun. Where in the world is this flag from? So I'm I'm torn between two. I'm torn between Bhutan and Nepal. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to, and I'm going to go with my initial thought, which was Nepal. The answer is Nepal. Yeah. Woo. So Nepal is the only flag that is not a square or a rectangle. It's two triangles. Like, well, sorry. Two, 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 two overlapping crimson triangles. So, mm-hmm. Uh, remember, Nepal is home to eight of the world's ten tallest mountains, including the highest point on Earth, Mount Everest. All right, question three. The Union Jack or Union Flag is the official name of the flag for the United Kingdom. The crosses or saltiers of which three saints are combined to make the UK flag? So one I'm positive about, one I'm like sort of positive about, and then the last one I guessed out of nowhere. Okay. So... I got St. George. Mm-hmm. I got St. Patrick. Yep. And then I got St. James. Mm. Ooh, I was so close, I'm wasn't sorry. I? Sorry. What was the last one? Uh, so England is St. George. Yep. That is the um, red St. George's cross on a white background. Yep. Um, Northern Ireland is St. Patrick's cross, which is a red diagonal cross on a white background. Mm-hmm. And what would be white on blue? White on blue. Yeah. I mean. Who would have a, which country would would have a blue, well, blue background with a white. Well, it's Scotland, isn't it? Uh-huh. I don't know the patron saint of Scotland. Uh, do you like golf? Uh, St. Alban? No, wait, no. <laughs> That's a different place. St. <laughs> Andrew. St. Andrew. Yes. St. Andrew. So the UK flag is made up of the crosses of St. George, St. Patrick, and St. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, the present design of the British flag was adopted on January 1st, 1801. Perfect. All right. Question four. The fifth largest country in the world has a green flag with a large yellow diamond in the center, 
bearing a blue celestial globe with 27 white five-pointed stars. The globe also has a white equatorial band with the motto, Ordem e Progresso, across it. Though their national dish isn't canned soup, but feijoada, a stew of beans with beef and pork. To what country does this flag belong? Uh, that is Brazil. It is Brazil. Um, so the blue circle and stars, which replaced the coat of arms from the original flag, depict the sky over Rio de Janeiro on the morning of November 15th, 1889, the day the Republic of Brazil was declared. Oh, that's beautiful. So it has a meaning. And Brazil borders all other countries in South America except for Ecuador and Chile. Cool. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. All right. Question five. This country's flag has three equal horizontal bands of green, black, and yellow with a red isosceles triangle on the left side. Centered in the triangle is a yellow five-pointed star under a crossed AK-47 and a hoe on an open white book. If you're in Maputo, you're under the flag of what country? Alternatively, what's the only country's flag with an AK-47 on it? I'm... uh, the. Mm, Maputo makes it sound like it's an African country to me. So I don't know. I'm going to say the Democratic Republic of Congo. Is that not it? You're in the right region. This is Mozambique. Mozambique. Yeah. So so they have a lot of meaning on their flag. Green is the riches of the land. White is peace. Uh, Black is the African continent. Yellow is the country's minerals. And red is their struggle for independence. There is an AK-47 rifle symbolizing defense and vigilance. There is a hoe referring to the country's agriculturalism. And the open book stresses the importance of education. And then there's also a star representing Marxism and internationalism. Okay, so this is one of only two national flags featuring a firearm. The other, I didn't know there were. Yes. Know there was one. The other is <laughs> Guatemala. So Guatemala's huh. flag has a pair of crossed rifles symbolizing Guatemala's willingness to defend itself, as well as a pair of crossed swords symbolizing honor. Mm. So you'll see a lot of swords and staffs and sure, um, even spears, things like that on on countries' flags. But the only ones with firearms. Mm-hmm. Mozambique, which has an AK-47, and Guatemala, which has rifles on it. Okay. That seems scary, but sure. It, yeah, huh? <laughs> All right, question six. There are three countries with dragons on their flags. One is the Land of Song. One is a European island, and one is a very happy country in Asia. Can you name me two of them? I will throw in a milkshake and some bonus points if you get all three. Okay. One is the Land of Song. One is a European island. Mm-hmm. And one is a happy country in Asia? Yes. Happy country in Asia. Um, uh, it, is one of them Thailand? No. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> the land of song. Milkshakes. You got... Um, so this Asian country is, is widely known as being the happiest country on earth. Like it's, oh. I wasn't doing a play on words there. They are, they oh, measure, okay. um, they measure their country's success by like their gross national happiness, happiness? quotient or something. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, is one of them Malta? One of them is Malta. Yes. Okay. I got Malta one. Um, boop, 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 boop. happy Asian country. Um, is it the Philippines? No. Shoot. Is it Indonesia? No. Shoot. 
Is it Laos? I didn't say. It was, <laughs> I didn't say. I didn't say Asia was an island. Oh right, right, right. Oh shoot, I don't know. <laughs> All right, how about how about in Great Britain? Is there a flag in oh, Great okay. Britain with a with so a dragon that, on it? It's a European island, right? You said. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, that was Malta. That was the Malta. European island was oh. Malta. Oh, okay, so you're saying Land of Song. Uh huh. Is it Ireland? No. Shoot. Just tell me. Wales. <laughs> oh, Wales poop. Of course they've got a dragon. Yeah. Oh, the they Wales. believe that they're real still. <laughs> <laughs> so actually you got the most obscure one. Um, Wales is straight up a big ass red dragon <laughs> on a on a white and green striped background. Mm-hmm. Um Bhutan is the happiest country in the world. You know what? Damn it. You said, <laughs> it earlier, said that but earlier. Yeah, of course not. I it's couldn't fine. call it back. So Bhutan's flag is um it's a there's a diagonal um split of colors. There's like a goldenrod and like a an orange a burnt orange on the background, and then mm-hmm. across the middle is a um black and white Asian dragon with mm-hmm. um on top of balls with his feet. So very very bold there. Um, mm-hmm. The one that I think that is the hardest is is the Malta because Malta's flag shows the George Cross, which is the second oh, highest right. award of the United Kingdom honor system. And on the emblem of the George Cross, it's, so, it's teeny tiny up in the left-hand corner. It mm-hmm. does have the effigy of St. George and the Dragon surrounded by the words for gallantry. So Malta's flag is like, it's a rectangle. The left side is white the right side is red and in the on the white side in the upper left corner there's a tiny Tiny. cross (laughs) with a tiny saint george on a tiny dragon (laughs) well i mean you know you got the hardest one (laughs) i got the hardest one great all right question seven this red flag with a triskelion of legs joined at the thigh, bent at the knee, pointing clockwise, with stars for spurs at their heels, is explained by the legend that a great warrior repelled an invasion by transforming into the three legs and rolling down a hill, defeating the invaders. You can buy that story if you want to in pounds sterling, since the country is a crown dependency in the Irish Sea. What is its name? That is the Isle of Man. It sure is. Yep. Um... I love that Queen Elizabeth II is the head of the Isle of Man, and she's called the Lord of Man. That's, the, that's, the, that's your title <laughs> when you're in charge. Um, in 1881, the Isle of Man Parliament, Tinwald, became the first national legislative body in the world to give women the right to vote in a general election. Wow. Uh, but only if you were single. It's excluded <laughs> married women for some reason. I don't know. Oh, jeez. Okay. So anyway, if you see this flag, it's totally, it looks totally bizarre. It's weird. It's very It's the weirdest weird. thing. But don't confuse it with Sicily's flag because Sicily's flag depicts the head of Medusa and three ears of wheat on top of three legs bent with toes pointing clockwise. So those, the three legs of the Sicilian flag are called a trinacria. Trinacria? A trinacria. (laughs) No, you know what? That was phenomenal. (laughs) Better than I <laughs> They're said to represent the three points of the island, which is triangular in shape. So mm-hmm. um, if you look at these flags next to each other, um, the Isle of Man's is just three legs and the um, uh, the Sicily one has the head of Medusa and three ears of wheat on top of these legs too. Yeah. Trinacria. <laughs> Trinacria. <laughs> I still don't know what you're trying to say. Spell it for me. T-R-I-N-A-C-R-I-A. 
C-R-I-A. Is that all one word? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Trina Kriya. You got it. It's Good called job. a triskelion is like um, is uh, an art motif term for if there are like three things that are oh, the same yeah. that make up a symbol. So I'm mm. guessing it's like the Italian version of that. Yeah, basically. Question eight. Believed to be the oldest continuously used national flag in the world, this flag, wielded by kings of its home country since the 14th century, features a shifted white cross on a red background. If you were visiting Queen Margrethe II, who's been reigning monarch since 1972, or the headquarters of Lego, in what country would you be? Is that Switzerland? No. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I was so sure. I was so sure. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is it Sweden? It's not Sweden. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> it's an off-center white cross on a red background. Yeah, I mean, I can see it in my brains. Why did I think Switzerland? Now, you know what? I was so I was so positive of that that I wrote Switzerland and then I didn't think about it again. Um. Who's, where's Lego? I know that's what I'm trying to think. Where is Lego? You just did an episode on it. And I say you just, just did. It was probably uh, like a hundred episodes ago. Yeah, it was last year. Um, poop. Where is it? Is it on the European continent? Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, it's part of Europe. Yeah. Is it Denmark? It is Denmark. Oh, Okay. Jesus. I'm sorry. So the (laughs) their flag is officially called the Danabrog, D-A-N-N-E-B-R-O-G. It's the shifted cross design element was subsequently adopted by the other Nordic countries of Finland, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden. Denmark Mm -hmm. proper, which is the southernmost of the Scandinavian countries, consists of a peninsula, Jutland, and in an archipelago of 443 named islands, the largest being Zealand. In 1969, Denmark was the first country to legalize pornography. Congratulations. Great job, Denmark. Um, And for more on Lego, (laughs) check out episode 64, Lego, my Lego. For a second, I thought you were going to be like, for more on pornography. For more on pornography. (laughs) You know what to do. Yeah. (laughs) Please. You don't need our instructions. All right. Question nine. This perfectly square flag consists of two vertical halves. On the left, solid yellow, signifying a specific ruler's spiritual power. And the white right side, which shows a tiara, two crossed keys, one silver, one gold, neither pearly, and a red cord connecting the keys. In what country, with a population of about 825, would you see this flag? That's the Vatican. Yes, Vatican City. Um, It is one of only two square flags, the other being the flag of Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) Damn you, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And finally, question 10. Cerulean blue with a gold isosceles triangle below a black arrowhead. This country's flag somewhat resembles the Starfleet emblem. If you elevate and head to the capital city of Castries, you're looking at the flag of what Caribbean island? Mm, Poo. Um... I'm I'm going to say Bermuda. Poop. I'm going to say uh um St. Vincent and the Grenadines. <laughs> you're in you're close. You're in the Am ballpark. St. Martin? Nah. Shoot. Nah. Uh St. <laughs> Castries. You could elevate and head there. 
Uh, it's St. Lucia. Oh, damn it. You know, and I did a St. Lucia question uh-huh. for you, and we both we got both, it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Somehow that country just does not nope. stick in either of our nope. brains. All right. So, yeah, St. Lucia. Um, the blue color represents the sky and the sea. The gold stands for sunshine and prosperity. And white and black, the racial composition of the island. Um, the two major triangles invoke the twin pitons, the gros piton and petit piton, which are the cone-shaped volcanic plugs that are a symbol of the island. So, yeah, the flag looks like the Star Trek Starfleet logo. Love it. Love it. And there you hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I will be able to remember anything about St. Lucia. And that's the game, folks. And the- <laughs> Great job. I loved it. That was very good. And I'm glad we had a flag quiz. I'm surprised neither one of us have really done like a flag quiz in any like yeah. significant way. Usually it's a visual thing. But yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, these are ones that were that had like very distinctive like features that mm-hmm. you should be able to call out for you know, trivia purposes. Yeah. Like the Isle of Man. Cool. Um, thank you, Julie. I learned so much about football plays and flags and, uh, Oh yeah. We forgot yeah. to tell your dad to listen again. We forgot oh, to, whoops. We forgot to tell your dad it was okay to unplug his ears. That's all right. I'll text him when the, he's what, listening to it. I'll be like, <laughs> give it like, you know, two minutes and then he can start back up again. Anyway, uh, we hope that you enjoyed uh, this episode, and um, please, you know, rate, review, and subscribe. Tell a friend. Yeah. Tell a friend. Thank you to everyone who has uh, rated and reviewed so far. We totally appreciate it. Very kind. It's very kind of you, and uh, we hope you're all doing well. Yeah, we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.